and welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, your host. I am the Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. As usual, I have with me for the first part of the podcast, Tom Bailey, the ETFs Editor at Interactive Investor. We're going to start off by covering some really interesting research that was um, published on the Interactive Investor website by Ian Cowie, who was for over two decades the personal finance editor at The Telegraph. Ian writes a weekly column for us, which is published every Thursday. The research looked at how investment trusts had fared over the past two decades since 9-11. It found that 42 investment trusts were 10 baggers, meaning that if £1,000 was invested, then that would have grown to £10,000 or more over that 20-year period. Tom, could you run through a couple of the top performers? It's no surprise to see that Scottish Mortgage took top spot. Yeah, as, as you say, yeah, Scottish Mortgage came out on top. So £1,000 uh, invested on 9-11, uh, 2001, would have grown to almost £29,000 uh, today. Um, but actually, there's quite a fair few number of Bailey Gifford funds, uh, sorry, trusts on the list. So in uh, second place, you have um, Pacific Horizon. Uh, that would have turned £1,000 into 27000 um, so also not bad. Um, and then way further down the list, although there's still 10 baggers, you've got uh, Edinburgh Worldwide, which is also a Bailey Gifford Trust, and also Bailey Gifford Sheer Nippon. Um, and, and these are lower down the list, but they still they still would have provided a return of over £10,000 over over the period. Um, and one, one thing that I think that stands out, maybe you can kind of see it from the Bailey Gifford, um, uh, the, the range of funds there. Um, but even further, when, kind of one thing that stands out is a different type of funds on the list. So you've got global funds, uh, sorry, trusts, obviously not funds. Um, you've got global, Asia-Pacific, but also UK and European smaller companies. And there's also China, India, private equity, commodities. So there's a broad range and it kind of it suggests that over that 20-year period, there wasn't necessarily one type of, uh, one, one sector, one style, uh, one area of, of the stock market that was that kind of led these, these trusts to do higher. It, it really was a, a broad spread of different, different stuff. What this data also shows is that investors who do not panic by selling into short-term setbacks can achieve good returns over the long term. I think it's particularly timely as well because there does seem to be a lot of speculation at the moment that a stock market correction could be on the cards. High up on investors' worry lists are the COVID-19 Delta variant, higher inflation being here to stay rather than being temporary, and the prospect of the Federal Reserve in the coming months beginning the process of unwinding its stimulus program, uh, so-called uh, tapering, which is um, obviously the stimulus program has helped prop up asset prices, including uh, stock markets. Of course, the reality is no one knows when a stock market correction will play out. And in addition to that, it's almost impossible to identify market peaks and troughs. For peace of mind, the reliable way for an investor to reduce the risk that they enter the market at a disadvantageous time is to drip feed money into an investment on a monthly basis. A regular plan involving investing at the start of each month, for example, does away with the risk that you might put all of your cash into the market just before a nasty dip. We're now going to move on to the unexpected announcement last week that the uh, dividend tax will be increased by 1.25 percentage points from next April. Tom, could you run through how this tax increase will impact investors? 
Sure. So obviously this is part of the government's attempt to kind of raise revenue to pay for uh, future social care costs. And so part of this will be um, increasing the tax on, on dividends by 1.25% from uh, next April. So right now, dividends uh, above the £2,000 threshold are taxed at um, 7.5% for the basic rate uh, taxpayers. And then if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you're charged 32.5%. And for additional rate taxpayers, it's 38.1%. So that's, that's as it currently stands. Um, so after April with the, with the rises, um, a basic rate taxpayer will pay now 8.75%. Uh, on dividends after the £2,000 threshold uh, and a higher rate taxpayer will pay 33.75 and additional rate um, taxpayers will pay 39.35. So it's a a small but meaningful jump there. Um, But of course, for for anyone kind of wanting to avoid avoid this, the obvious option is is an ISA. Um, If if your investments aren't held in in an ISA currently, this is another good reason to try and put them in into the tax wrapper to protect yourself from from these kind of tax rises. Um, And obviously, if you've got investment outside of an ISA, the best way to move into uh, move that money into an ISA, um, the existing investments you have is through the, the the bed and ISA process, which you can you can find out more about on the IA platform. As well as ISAs, um, self-invested personal pensions are also beneficial um, in that dividends are tax-free within the wrapper. But uh, bear in mind that uh, withdrawals that exceed the twenty-five percent tax-free allowance will be taxed as income. But to sum up, as you've uh, pointed out, Tom. Tax shelters are investors' best line of defence. And the final uh, news item to mention is that uh, Interactive Investor has put the Artemis Monthly Distribution Fund, which is a member of the Super 60, under formal review following the announcement that its co-manager, James Foster, is planning to retire at the end of this year. Interactive Investor's analysts will review how the change will impact the fund's team structure and investment process, along with how the succession plan will be implemented. As James Foster was the key decision maker for the bond strategy and has managed the fund since inception, an additional layer of due diligence will be carried out in order to establish whether it will continue to be the best income mixed asset option for Interactive Investors customers. The fund manager guest for this episode is Clive Beagles, who manages the Johambro UK Equity Income Fund. The fund invests across the UK market with a focus on companies that are yielding higher than the FTSE All Share Index. Clive, does this mean that the fund has a value bias and how would you sum up your investment process? Yeah, yeah, the fund does have a value bias. Um, historically, it hasn't been a particularly strong one. I would describe it more as a sort of value tilt. Um, but of course, the last three or four years, sort of value has had quite a difficult time in sort of stock markets um, because you know the sort of world of you know ever lower interest rates and ever lower discount rates has sort of meant that. You know, growth as a style has outperformed value. And as a result, we see more and more opportunities within the sort of more value orientated part of the market. So as we sit here today, we've probably got a, a, a greater bias towards value than we've ever had. I sort of slightly see that as temporary. Um, that's sort of driven by the fact that, you know, bond yields are very low, discount rates are very low. The world won't always be like that. Um, I'm sure we'll come and talk about some of those issues uh, uh, in the in the coming minutes. Um, but but if, so we do have value bias. Um, we, we On top 
top of that, we we, you know, we think we have a contrarian sort of attitude, uh, try and sort of look at, look for value and opportunities in sort of parts of the market other people don't sort of consider interesting. Um, uh, we take a lot of the time thinking about normalized level of earnings, whether we see companies currently over-earning or under-earning, trying to think about what companies ought to make through the cycle rather than just at this moment in time. And also particularly interested in management change and improvement um, situations. That's something which may be relative to some other equity income funds. We've got more maybe recovery stocks or management change stocks than just sort of steady eddy kind of deliverers. The fund's performance over the past year has comfortably been ahead of the Investment Association's UK equity income sector. What have been the biggest contributors to performance in terms of individual companies? Yeah, I think it's careful not to get too carried away with the last year, because of course the last year we, we have had a good recovery, but but equally the sort of prior period before that, the immediate sort of aftermath or beginning of the kind of COVID crisis, we had a difficult time. So to some degree, the, the strong performance last 12 months is really just a bounce back from the sort of very difficult phase we had in that kind of March to June 2020 period. Um, having said that, I guess when we think about, you know, contributors, some of them have been domestic sectors, uh, where obviously we've seen a strong rebound in, in activity, and a lot of those stocks were very, very oversold uh, this time last year. So we're thinking about sectors like construction, um, um, or maybe some retailers, for example, or some other sort of you know consumer cyclicals. Also, financials have had a very strong recovery. Uh, that not just banks, but banks and insurers, um, but also some of the more international sectors as well, where we were heavily exposed. Um, areas like uh, mining, which is obviously you've seen very strong rises in commodity prices as people anticipate a global recovery and, and to some degree shortages. That's been a big strong contributor for us, uh, as well as um, as well as some of the sort of early cycle kind of um, recovery sectors like uh, recruitment, which obviously is seeing uh, life recovering very, very quickly. You've seen yourselves that, for example, vacancies in the UK are at an all-time high. We've never had a, more than a million vacancies in the UK before, so that's very good for some of our recruitment companies like Michael Page and um, S3, or, or maybe media companies where, again, advertising, we've seen a very, very rapid recovery. Um, so whether that's you know ITV in, in, in the UK or maybe some more globally orientated advertising agency groups like WPP. So that's that would give you a flavour of some of the more strongly performing parts of the market. And where are you finding the best value or contrarian opportunities at present? Yeah, I guess there's sort of three or four buckets really where we still think there's good opportunity. But broadly speaking, we're still finding good opportunity in the in the domestic space. So, as you know, the UK index is a slightly curious one. Only around a third of the earnings of the UK market come from UK from the UK economy. Um, but actually, still still find there's a lot of very modestly priced stocks, particularly at the smaller cap end in that area. Um, you know, so again, we talked to ta- I talked a little bit earlier about you know areas like sort of construction um, and that doesn't just mean house builders it also means you know construction companies that are benefiting from the kind of you know build back better build back greener kind of phase that we're seeing as from from politicians so there's definitely lots of opportunities in that area second big bucket where we still think there's a very strong opportunity is financials financials represents over a third of our fund but that doesn't just mean banks it means banks it means insurers it means other financials but many of those stocks um, uh, are still suffering from from the scars of the last financial crisis in 2008 in terms of how investors think about them, still very cautious to sort of go back and, and, and actively participate in those areas. They still look very modestly priced to us. You look at stocks like Barclays and Standard Chartered, they're still trading on only half book value, only half of their, you know, less than less than 60% of their asset value, still look modestly priced. And the last area maybe is a bit less contrarian in a way, but we still find there's good opportunity in commodities. Obviously, some commodities have, have risen very strongly. We think about... Um, 
um, some of the commodities that are going to be important for the energy transition, like copper uh, or um, or lithium or cobalt. But actually, even the oil prices had quite a strong recovery because oil has become a sort of um, a more challenged sector for people to sort of contribute to, to be actively invested in with worries about ESG and energy transition and so forth. So actually, commodities in general, which represents about a quarter of our fund, we still think very good opportunity. We're talking about free cash flow yields anywhere between 10 and 25% in the commodity space. Um, so we don't need commodity prices to rise any further. We just need them to remain around here and we'll get an awful lot of cash coming back to us in dividends and buybacks and other capital returns. I wanted to move on to your outlook for UK dividends. Link Group, which uh, publish a quarterly report of the UK dividend market, has forecasted that it'll take until 2025 for UK dividends to return to pre-pandemic levels. What's your view on that? Will it take that long? Yeah, there's a number of words I could use to describe that link forecast, some of which are probably not uh, not for family family, uh, family viewing or family ears. But I'll just use a simple one. It's just wrong. And it's wrong by quite a long way. Um, we remain utterly confused and bemused by those link forecasts. They get a lot of airtime and they're so far wrong, it is extraordinary. Um, so if we look back at what happened to our dividend for our fund, in 2020, it fell by around 50%. I think the market dividend was about down about 40 um, Now, of course, the laws of maths mean that if your dividend falls by 50%, it has to recover by 100% to get back to where it started. Yes, if you started at 100, you've halved down to 50, you've got to go back up by 100%. So, obviously, the... It is challenging to get back to where you started. But if you went back a year ago, we were saying that we thought dividends would recover back to pre-pandemic levels, i.e. 2019 levels, probably by around the end of 2022. Actually, we've been consistently surprised to the upside in terms of dividend returns. And that's whether that's from individual sectors like mining or, or banks being allowed to start to return capital back to shareholders or just from a whole raft of individual companies who are just operating much more strongly than they feared they would do during COVID as we come through the so, you know, we are obviously in the midst of a very strong economic recovery. Um, so right now, we think dividends will get back to, to the, our dividend for our fund. will get back to the sort of 2019 level during the first half of 2022. So I guess that's a good two and a half years, maybe even close to three years earlier than that link forecast. All of that is based on individual stocks, bottom up, um, uh, in very granular detail. So it's not based on a sort of heroic top down view of economic growth or the world. Obviously, we have to think about what the economies are doing, but it's very detailed. Uh, and our confidence levels in that, as I said, has continued to rise as we've gone through this year. So I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of misinformation really being put around by if people are f- focusing on that, um, on that number, because it's just, it's very, very wrong. It was interesting to uh, hear your view on that. In terms of headwinds for the UK market, is inflation the one clear non-COVID risk in the months ahead? Well, it's, it's interesting you describe it as a risk. Um, I think it's a risk if you're a bond investor, and I think it's a risk if you're a growth and momentum investor, because clearly, you know, people have sort of have swallowed the kind of rhetoric of particularly of, uh, of central bankers, particularly the Fed central bankers who've said, you know, this inflationary phase is transitory, don't worry, it'll return back to normal. We definitely think it's it's not transitory. We think it's much more uh, enduring than that, because it's leading to wage accelerating wage inflation. And I touched on earlier on that the way that the um, that the um, the uh, recruitment markets, jobs markets, very very tight in the UK. So and once that happens, it's very hard to get inflation back out of the system. I think so. So I think it would be a risk if you were invested in in stocks or or asset classes that require lower, you know, permanently lower 
interest rates and discount rates. We don't. We think we've got a portfolio actually that would benefit from higher inflation and would benefit from bond yields rising and actually from interest rates um, being a little bit higher uh, than where we are. We are, after all, you know, we are in the midst of 7% GDP growth this year and probably next, and yet we've got interest rates at 0.1%. That situation just is simply unsustainable. You know, we're supposed to be operating at emergency levels of interest rates. Well, we've no longer, from an economic point of view, we're no longer sitting in an emergency. So I do think that they um, now obviously central bankers could get the path of uh, of sort of taking the stimulus away. They could get that wrong, so that probably is the risk. You know, do they overreact or indeed underreact? Because um, I think they should be acting before the end of the year, quite frankly, in terms of beginning to take the stimulus away. Um, you know, so I think that that's the sort of element that we need to sort of you know juggle. And at the overall market level, that may not be helpful because it may it may harm some of those stocks that have relied on you know very low discount rates. But in terms of the sort of the sort of sectors that we're interested in, we think higher bond yields would help and inflation actually for areas like commodities wouldn't necessarily be a negative either. So um, it is it is a big issue. And obviously, we had a very strong inflation print um, uh, today, this week, actually, or should have been higher than people necessarily expected. And inflation will get above 4% before the end of the year. Um, so it's really a question of whether the inflation in input prices translates into more stickier inflation in terms of wage inflation. Uh, and we think there's lots of evidence that that's, that's likely to occur. And as such, we think rate uh, bond yield should be higher uh, and that would be quite a favorable we think for our style of investing and indeed most of the stocks that we own and also on inflation pricing power is um is often described as a key ingredient in order to combat rising levels of inflation do you have plenty of pricing power in the portfolio yeah, we we absolutely would, would hope so. Um, obviously, some companies have more dominant market shares uh, than others. Um, but again, one of the one of the things we try to concentrate on, uh, particularly as we've gone through this COVID phase, is the fact that many companies, particularly quoted companies, of course, who have had access to uh, to capital, access to debt, access to raising raising fresh equity, you know, actually have grown stronger during this phase. So their ability to uh, to, to to exhibit pricing power, I think, will will have increased. I'll give an example. So, DFS, a business that Many of you, uh, many of you will know. Obviously, is the largest furniture retailer in the UK. Their market share during the last two years has probably gone up by around five or six percentage points, such that they've now got a forty percent market share in the UK furniture market. Uh, they're both the leader, both online and offline, so both in both in store and indeed online. And obviously, there are some price pressures, um, you know, for them in terms of materials, in terms of freight costs and all the rest of it. But with a market leader with greater than 40% market share, I'm absolutely sure that they'll do their damnedest to pass on those uh, price increases, uh, you know, as they see fit. Um, and I think that's a good example of sort of the kind of companies that A, were invested in uh, and B, which have grown stronger during this, during this COVID phase and are very well placed to benefit from the fact we've got 200 billion of unspent consumer savings sitting in bank accounts in the UK, which is a far more significant number than, for example, the increase in national insurance, which is probably, you know, 10 to 12 billion um, on the on the other side. So we still think we've got a good couple of years of sort of catch up consumer spending to come and it would benefit companies like DFS. And finally, a question that we ask all for managers that appear on the podcast. Do you personally invest in the Joe Hambro UK equity income fund? Of course, yeah, it's my largest investment. Obviously, I've got a spread of investments. Don't want to have all your uh, all your investments in a single fund because it'd be obviously you know, I've got investments elsewhere in in other geographic regions. But it's comfortably the largest personal investment that I have and always has been. Clive, thank you very much for your time and coming on the podcast. No problem. I enjoyed the chat. Thanks very much. 
final part of the podcast is our fun spotlight feature. I'm joined by Dmitry Lipsky, head of fun research at Interactive Investor. So Dmitry, what have you chosen for this episode and what does it invest in? I've uh, chosen uh, Henderson Smaller Companies Trust. So as probably everyone knows, this trust uh, feature on uh, Interactive Investor Super 60 um, uh, list as a sort of UK smaller companies recommendation. Uh, so the trust um, aims to maximize uh, total returns um, uh, for investors uh, by um, uh, investing in a UK small and mid-cap companies. So uh, the trust is managed by highly experienced investor, Neil Herman, uh, who is a, a director of UK equities at Janice Henderson, and he has managed the trust since 2002. The manager and his analyst team employ bottom-up research to find quality growth companies, but will only invest at a reasonable price. And this, um, as probably everyone knows as well, this is often described as a growth at a reasonable price investing. So the team uses a so-called uh, 4M uh, framework to assess companies uh, looking for a strong business models, managers with a good track record, strong balance sheets and cash flows, and a good earnings momentum. So the manager runs a well-diversified portfolio of more than 100 holdings and takes a long-term approach. So the holdings um, stocks for more than five years on average. So in terms of the sector allocations, and so sector allocations are driven by stock selection and the largest um, uh, sectors uh, allocations uh, are to industrials, consumer discretionary, financials and technology. So, so yeah, this is at the end of August. And in terms of the holdings, among its top holdings, media company Future, Impacts uh, Asset Management and House Builder, Bellway. And what makes the investment trust special? Yeah, so 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 this uh, uh, this Henderson Smaller Companies Trust is one of the largest. So market capitalization is uh, is close to a billion now. Uh, it's a most liquid trust in the UK smaller companies sector, and uh, it charges relatively low fees. Um, and so the the manager and the analyst team behind the trust is very experienced. And they have consistently outperformed the market and other trusts and funds in the sector over both a short and longer term. So um, specifically, the trust has outperformed the numerous smaller companies index in all but two years since the manager appointment in 2002, which is a which is a, a yeah exceptional performance. Yeah, that is a remarkable uh, track record. And what sort of investors do you think the trust will particularly suit? Yeah, so so the, the trust is is, is very compa- compelling offering run by, um, as I said, Janice Henderson team of experts, and it should appeal for someone who is looking for active co-exposure to UK small and mid mid cap equities. So you you could argue that um, uh, that that once the re- restrictions surrounding the COVID nineteen are fully lifted the trust could be a good way uh, for investors to play a potential UK stock market recovery. That's all for this episode. I hope that you've enjoyed listening. And that is the case, then please do give us a like, subscribe and spread the word so you don't miss an episode. 
There's lots more investments, insights, and ideas at ii.co.uk. So do check it out. And we'll be back in early October.